Chapter Four, Part Two of Damien by Herman Hess. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Chapter Four, Beatrice, Part Two. I cannot think of that time without a certain emotion. With earnest striving, I again endeavored to build a bright world out of the ruins of that period of my life which had broken up around me. I again lived entirely and single-mindedly in the desire to put away the dark and the bad and to dwell completely in the light on my knees before my gods. Still, this bright world I built up was to a certain extent my own creation. It was not the action of flying back or of crawling back to mother, to a security without responsibilities. It was a new service upon which I entered, invented by myself for my own requirements, with responsibilities and discipline of self. The sex consciousness from which I suffered and before which I was in constant flight was now transmuted into this sacred fire to spirit and devotion. The grim and horrible would disappear. I should groan through no more agonizing nights. There would be no more heart-beatings in front of lewd pictures, no more listening at forbidden doors, no more lasciviousness. Instead of all this, I set up my altar with the picture of Beatrice, and in dedicating myself to her, I dedicated myself to the spirit and to the gods. That part of myself which I withdrew from the powers of darkness, I brought as a sacrifice to the powers of light. Not lust was my aim, but purity, not happiness, but beauty and spirituality. This cult for Beatrice completely changed my life. A precocious cynic, but a short while before, I had now become a servant in the temple, whose aim it was to be a saint. I not only renounced the evil life to which I had accustomed myself, but I endeavored to change everything, to set myself a standard of purity, nobility, and dignity, which I even applied to eating and drinking, to my manner of speech and dress. I began each morning to wash with cold water, to the use of which I had in the beginning to force myself. I behaved with gravity and dignity, carried myself erect, and acquired a slower and more dignified gait. To an observer it might have seemed rather ludicrous, but to me it was the performance of a divine worship. Of all the ways in which I sought to find expression for my new faith, one bore fruit. I began to paint. To start with, the English picture of Beatrice I had in my possession did not bear a sufficient resemblance of Beatrice. I wanted to try to paint her for myself. Full of new pleasure and hope, I carried into my room, I had recently been given a room to myself, beautiful paper, colors, and a paintbrush. I made ready my palette, porcelain bowls, glass, and pencils. The fine watercolors in little tubes which I had bought captivated me. There was a bright chromic green which I think I can see yet as it flashed out for the first time from the little white tube. I began with caution. To paint a face was difficult. I wished, first of all, to try something else. I painted ornaments, flowers, and small landscapes from imagination. A tree near a chapel, a Roman bridge with cypresses. I often lost myself completely in this pastime. 
I was as happy as a child with a box of paints. At last I began to paint Beatrice. The first few attempts were abortive, and I threw them away. The more I tried to conjure up in my mind the face of the girl, whom I met from time to time in the street, the less I seemed able to transfer my impressions to paper. Finally, I gave up the idea and began simply to paint a face according to the guidance of my imagination, a face which gradually grew out of the one already begun, as if by itself, at the mercy of color and brush. The result was a face I had dreamed of, and I was not ill-pleased with it. Yet I made another essay immediately, and each new picture was clearer and approached more nearly to the type, but was by no means like the reality. More and more I accustomed myself, in a dreamy sort of way, to draw lines with my brush to fill in surfaces. My sketches grew out of a few strokes of the brush, out of the unconscious. At last, one day, I finished a face, almost unconsciously, which made a stronger appeal to me than the former ones. It was not the face of the girl, for I had long since given up the idea of trying to paint my Beatrice to the life. It was something else, something unreal, and yet not of less value for me on that account. It looked more like the head of a youth than of a girl. The hair was not blonde like that of my pretty girl, but brown with a tinge of red. The chin was strong and firm, but the mouth was red as a blossom. The features were rigid like a mask, but impressive and full of secret life. As I sat before the finished sketch, it made a peculiar impression on me. It seemed to me a sort of picture of a god, or of a sacred mask, half man, half woman, ageless, the expression being at once dreamy and strong-willed, stiff and yet secretly alive. This face seemed to have something to say to me. It belonged to me. Its look was rather imperative, as if requiring something of me. And there was a certain resemblance to someone or other to whom I knew not. The picture played an important role for a while, sharing my thoughts and my life. I kept it concealed in a drawer in order that one should not get possession of it and so be able to sneer at me. But as soon as I found myself alone in my little room, I took out the picture and communed with it. Each evening I pinned it on the wall over against my bed and gazed at it until I dropped off to sleep. In the morning it was the first object which met my gaze. Just at that time I began again to dream a great deal, as I had constantly done when a child. It seemed to me that for years I had had no more dreams. Now they came again, quite a new kind of pictures, and often and often the painted image appeared therein, living and speaking, friendly or inimical, with the features sometimes twisted into a grimace, sometimes infinitely beautiful, harmonious, and noble. And one morning, as I awoke out of such a dream, I suddenly realized who was the original of the picture. I recognized it. It gazed at me in such a fabulously well-known way and seemed to be calling my name. It seemed to know me like a mother, seemed to love me as if since the beginning of time. With beating heart, I stared at the paper, at the thick brown hair, at the half-womanly mouth, the strong forehead with the wonderful brightness, it had dried that way of itself, 
and more and more i felt in me the knowledge the certainty of having somewhere met the original of this picture i sprang out of bed placed myself in front of the face and gazed at it from the closest proximity straight into the wide open greenish staring eyes the right eye somewhat higher than the other and all at once this right eye twitched perceptibly but still decidedly and from this twitching i recognized the picture how was it that i had found it out so late it was damien's face later i often and often compared the picture with damien's real features as they had remained in my memory they were not quite the same although there was a resemblance but it was damien nevertheless once on an evening in early summer the red sun shone obliquely through my window which looked towards the west in the room the dusk was gathering i suddenly had the idea of pinning the picture of beatrice or of damien to the crossbar of the window and of gazing at it while the evening sun was shining through the whole outline of the face disappeared but the reddish ringed eyes the brightness of the forehead and the strong red mouth glowed deeply and wildly from the surface of the paper i sat opposite it for a long time even after the light had died away and by degrees the feeling came to me that this wasn't beatrice or damien but myself the picture did not resemble me it was not meant to i felt but there was that in it which seemed to be made up of my life something of my inner self of my fate or of my demon my friend would look like that if i ever found another my mistress would look like that if ever i had one my life and death would be like that it had the ring and rhythm of my fate in those weeks i had begun to read a book which made a deeper impression on me than anything i had read before even in later years i have seldom chanced upon books which have made such a strong appeal to me except perhaps those of nietzsche it was a volume of novaks containing letters and apothegms there was much that i did not understand but the book captivated me and occupied my thoughts to an extraordinary degree one of the aphorisms now occurred to me i wrote it with a pen under the picture fate and soul are the terms of one conception that i now understood i frequently used to meet the girl i called beatrice i felt no emotion on seeing her but i was often sensible of a harmony of sentiment which seemed to say we are connected or rather not you and i but your picture and i you are a part of my destiny my longing for max damien was again eager i had had no news of him for several years on one occasion only i had met him in the holidays i see now that i have failed to mention this short meeting in my narrative and i see that this was owing to shame and self-conceit on my part i must make up for it now so then once in the holidays i was parading my somewhat tired blasé self through the town as i was sauntering along swinging my stick and examining the old unchanged features of the bourgeois philistines whom i despised i met my one-time friend scarcely had i caught sight of him when i started involuntarily with lightning rapidity my thoughts were carried back to frank cromer i hoped and prayed damien had really forgotten the story 
it was so disagreeable to be under this obligation to him simply owing to a silly childish affair still i was under an obligation he seemed to be waiting to see whether i would greet him i did as calmly as possible under the circumstances and he gave me his hand this was indeed his old handshake so strong warm and yet cool so manly he looked at me attentively in the face and said you've grown a lot sinclair he himself seemed quite unchanged just as old just as young as ever he proposed we should go for a walk and we talked of secondary matters not of the past i remembered that i had written to him several times without having received an answer i hoped he had forgotten this as well those silly silly letters he made no mention of them at that time there was no beatrice and no picture i was still in the period of my dissipation outside the town i invited him to come with me into an inn he came with much ostentation i ordered a bottle of wine and filled a couple of glasses i clinked glasses with him showing him how conversant i was with student drinking customs and i emptied my first glass at a gulp do you frequent public houses often he asked me oh yes i said with a drawl what else is there to do it's certainly more amusing than anything else after all you think so perhaps it may be so there's certainly something very pleasing about it intoxication bacchanalian orgies but i find with most people who frequent public houses this sense of abandon is lost it seems to me there is something typically philistine bourgeois in the public house habit of course for just one night with burning torches to have a proper orgy and drunken revel but to do the same thing over and over again drinking one glass after another that's hardly the real thing can you imagine faust sitting evening after evening drinking at the same table i drank and looked at him with some enmity yes but everyone isn't a faust i said curtly he looked at me with a somewhat surprised air then he laughed in his old superior way what's the good of quarrelling about it in any case the life of a toper of a libertine is i imagine more exciting than that of a blameless citizen and then i have read it somewhere the life of a profligate is one of the best preparations for a mystic there are always such people as st augustine who become seers before he was a sort of rake and profligate i was distrustful and wished by no means to let him take a superior attitude towards me so i said with a blasé air well everyone according to his taste i haven't the slightest intention of doing that becoming a seer or anything damien flashed a glance at me from half-closed eyes my dear sinclair he said slowly it wasn't my intention to hurt your feelings besides neither of us knows to what end you drink there is that in you which orders your life for you and which knows why you are doing it it is good to realize this there is someone in us who knows everything wills everything does everything better than we do ourselves but excuse me i must go home we did not linger over our leave-taking i remained seated very dejected and emptied the bottle i found when i got up to go that damien had already paid for it 
that made me more angry still this little event recurred to my thoughts which were full of damien and the words he had spoken in the inn came back to my mind retaining all their old freshness and significance it is good to know that there is one in us who knows everything i looked at the picture hanging in the window now quite dark the eyes glowed still it was damien's look on it was the look of the one inside me who knows all oh how i longed for damien i knew nothing of his whereabouts for me he was unattainable i knew only that he was supposed to be studying somewhere or other and that after the conclusion of his school career his mother had left the town i called up in my mind all the reminiscences of max damien from the cromer affair onwards a great deal he had formerly said came back to me Today everything still had a meaning all was of real concern to me and what he had said at our last not very agreeable meeting about the libertine and the saint suddenly crossed my mind was it not just so with me had i not lived in filth and drunkenness my senses blunted by dissipation until a new life impulse the direct contrary of the old awoke in me namely the desire for purity the longing to be saintly so i went on from reminiscence to reminiscence night had long since fallen and outside it was raining in recollection as well i heard it rain it was the hour under the chestnut trees when he first questioned me concerning frank cromer so guessing my first secrets one after another these souvenirs came to mind conversations on the way to school the confirmation class and then i recollected my very first meeting with max damien what had we been talking about i could not for the moment recollect but i took my time i thought deeply at last i remembered we were standing in front of our house after he had imparted to me his opinion about cain then he spoke to me about the old almost obliterated crest which stood over the door in the keystone which widened as it got higher he said it interested him and that one ought not to let such things escape one's notice that night i dreamt of damien and of the crest it changed perpetually now damien held it in his hands now it was small and gray now very large and multicolored but he explained to me that it was always one and the same but at last he forced me to eat the crest as i swallowed it i felt with terror that the bird on the crest was alive inside me my stomach was swollen and the bird was beginning to consume me with the fear of death upon me i commenced to struggle then i woke up i felt relieved it was the middle of the night and i heard the rain blowing into the room i got up to close the window and in doing so i trod on a bright object which lay on the floor in the morning i found it was my painting it was lying there in the wet and had rolled itself up in order to dry it i stretched it out between two sheets of blotting paper and placed it under a heavy book when i looked at it the next day it was dry but it had changed the red mouth had paled and become smaller now it was exactly damien's mouth i now began to paint a new picture namely that of the bird on the crest i could not recollect any more what it really looked like neither could i form a clear image of the whole as even if one stood directly in front of our door the crest was scarcely recognizable 
it was so old and had several times been painted over the bird stood or sat on something perhaps on a flower or on a basket or a nest or on a treetop i did not bother about that i began with the part i could picture clearly in answer to a confused prompting i began straightaway with strong colors on my paper the head of the bird was golden yellow i continued my work at intervals when i was in the mood for it and after a few days the thing was completed now it was a bird of prey with a sharp bold hawk's head the lower half of the body was fixed in a dark terrestrial globe out of which it was working to escape as if out of a giant egg the background was sky blue the longer i gazed at the sheet the more it seemed to me this was the colored crest which i had visualized in my dream it would not have been possible for me to have written a letter to damien even if i had known where to send it but i decided acting under a suggestion which came to me in a dreamy sort of way as under all my promptings of that period to send him the picture with the hawk whether it would reach him or not i wrote nothing thereon not even my name i carefully cut the border bought a large paper cover and wrote on it my friend's former address then i sent it off the approach of an examination caused me to work harder than usual in school the masters had again received me into grace since i had suddenly changed my vile conduct i was not even now by any means a good pupil but neither i nor anyone else seemed to remember that half a year before my expulsion from the school had been imminent my father now wrote to me as formerly adopting his old cheerful tone without reproaches or threats yet i had no impulse to explain to him or to any one how the change was brought about it was merely chance that this change coincided with the wishes of my parents and the masters it did not bring me into closer contact with the others but isolated me still more i myself was ignorant of the tendency of the change in me it might be leading me to damien to a distant fate it had begun with beatrice but for some time past i had been living in quite an unreal world with my paintings and my thoughts of damien so that she quite disappeared from my mind as she did from my view i should not have been able to say a word to any one of my dreams of my expectations of the inner change realized in me not even if i had wished to do so but i had not the faintest desire ever to broach the subject end of chapter four beatrice